Star Wars Monthly Monday 12. This is Matt Bush, and you guys are listening to the Two True Freaks Podcast. And actually, now that I'm here, it's the Three True Freaks Podcast. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Two! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 12. Thank you so much for joining us. I am your co-freak, Scott Gardner, and joining me as always is my very bestest buddy in the whole wide, weird world, your other co-freak, Mr. Chris Honeywell. Howdy. Um, Howdy. I'd just like to begin this episode by making a retraction, and I think it was me who made the comment. We were... Um, we were it was in our Dragon Con roundup, post-Dragon Con wrap-up roundup show, where uh, we were talking about being on the adult themes of Star Wars panel, um, and I don't even think we knew the guy's name because we hadn't watched the video back, and we were, you know, basically into ourselves. And so we, we were basically like, oh, is that guy who was uh, the Star Wars author? Well, it turns out he wasn't a Star Wars author, and I was like, oh, well, there was, was that gay guy on the... But no, it turns out he wasn't gay. I could have sworn I heard the guy say he was gay. I thought but so I too. But I watched the video, and he actually says about three times that he's not gay. So, well, actually, he he called us, <laughs> and I'll just let his uh, his message speak for itself. I don't know about a harassing message, but uh, this is Sean Rosado. I was on the adult panel with you at DragonCon uh, for Star Wars. And uh, I was just going to give you guys a ring because I just heard your podcast for it, and I thought it was brilliant. But um, what I thought was really funny is the fact that you guys, A, thought I actually wrote for Star Wars, which, unfortunately, I do not. But, hey, never know. And, uh, two, that I'm not gay. I thought it was hysterical you guys thought I was. But, nope, not gay. I like the sex with the women. Um, but, at the <laughs> but at the same time, totally in touch with my gayness. Um, anyways, I thought I'd just give you guys a call. You said you wanted me to give you guys a contact when I had a moment, so just uh, give me a call, say hello. If you wanted to talk with me, uh, to chat about anything, just give me a ring. I sent you an email with my phone number and whatnot. You can uh, send me an email or a phone message, and I will talk to you guys then. So um, I need to be insulting, so fuck you and your mama too, and I'll catch you guys later. Take care. Bye. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Whoops. <laughs> 
we're gonna. But we're, he we're, was very cool about it. That that was the awesome part. Was he was like, hey, you know, that's totally cool. You know, whereas well, if he and his wife that, got that, a big laugh out of it, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a completely different story had Scott here been called gay. So you know, that and Sean was totally cool about it, and yeah. we appreciate that. Well, the, the we, thing was, it wasn't you know, it wasn't that he came off as being gay. I just swore he said something. Well, you know, yeah, being well, gay, blah blah blah, and I and I noted to myself, oh, he's oh okay, and then I was thinking. It's good that we have someone gay on the panel to to give that point of view. Right. You know, I and don't that, know about that's the, the I don't know about that other author guy, but no, actually he stated he wasn't gay either, but he was uh, yeah, gay. He, they were yeah, both he, gay friendly. He said he was very yeah, he was yeah. writing from the straight point of view and all right, that. That's yeah, right. well I mean Sean was very cool about it and and totally understanding that that we weren't saying geez that dude was gay i mean it wasn't that is that we actually thought that's what he said yeah. and he understood that which was very cool otherwise that would have been a very awkward conversation i think but uh <laughs> still apologies to sean yeah yeah we should have maybe did a little research but we were excited after the show and you know oh, oh well i'm not so well i've done research post you know on 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 all kinds of things you know like uh you know like who uh who George Kerstick was, you know, with apologies to George, I, I the, uh, the name rung a bell, but I had to actually do the research to, to find out. Now, he was the the writer of the episode that you and I liked so much where R2 got lost. You know, our, our big note for that episode oh, yeah. was R2 kicks ass. He wrote that episode and oh. he wrote an episode right out of the gate for, for season two. The I believe it's going to be the second episode to air. He wrote that one as well. So, you know. Like I say, you know, we and we stated that right off the bat, you know, on the very first panel that we were on was that we are major fans. However, you know, we're not the the minutia guys. So, you know, that included you know, writers and things like that. So and also, I'd just like to say if there's anybody from Lucasfilm listening right now. Hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> I, it, it, it made us very happy when George Kristic said that he had actually listened to our show before. Yeah. And, oh, uh, that I, that I, that may have without been without any prompting. You know, he was just like, "Oh yeah, I've listened to your show before," and blah blah right. blah. And obviously, he had listened to our show before, so it was really cool. I was gonna say that may have been, but I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say I think that was the highlight of Dragon Con for us was to have George, you know, who who works there at Lucasfilm and everything works on that show. Let's just refer say, to him now as George at Lucasfilm. Just George so at Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were yeah, talking people, to George at Lucasfilm the other day. George at Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I and but, right no. now I just want everybody to look at Lucasfilm who's listening right now is I picture this is what I picture, all the like animators and writers and special effects guys like huddled around a computer you know fighting over the earphones going what are they gonna say it's two true freaks <laughs> two true freaks is on i imagine no i i had it pictured that's... different i had it i had it pictured with you know this guy that that's at his computer working away on i don't know like some cgi effect or something and all around him in the in the background is is you know like like the actual thing of Han and Carbonite, and you know, there's like giant exactly. you know, ETST behind him, and you know, stuff like he's working in like the warehouse or something. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, but uh, well, you know, along the lines of of saying hello to to anyone at Lucasfilm that's listening, I just want to greet and and say hello and welcome all our new listeners because we, by the numbers, we have a scad of of new listeners, and I'm so happy, I'm so thrilled. 
Welcome, everybody. I hope you uh, stick around. I hope you join the forum or drop us a line, you know, through the email or something. You know, catch up with me on Twitter, whatever. You know, let us know what you think of the show. You know, what you're enjoying. Uh, let us know what you're not enjoying, that sort of thing. But I'm just really happy that we have picked up a ton of new listeners, and that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed for totally different reasons. It just, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I, I don't understand it. Well, I understand it. We got out and about at DragonCon. We met some people and hung up our posters and, uh, it's it's a lot of things. I think. I think. I think. Dragon Con is probably the biggest thing that that's caused that. But you know, I want to acknowledge all the other reasons too. I mean, we have we have good friends in the podcast community that are really talking us up. You know, we've we've got the fellows over at Alternate Reality. You know, John and Charlie and uh, and Eric, who was with us at Dragon Con. You know, they talk us up. They really play us up. They play our promos. I you know I appreciate that so much. We have other guys out there, and I'm not going to run down a whole long list because I'll end up forgetting somebody, and then I'll then somebody will, might feel left out or what. But I mean, there there are we have so many good friends in this community that are really helping us out with spreading the word of of you know spreading the gospel of two true freaks. And I I'm just saying to everybody, and you guys know who you are. Thank you. We appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And uh, I just I'm I. I don't even have words. I'm t- I'm tongue tied and, and dumbstruck. Except for Eric Peterson. Fuck you, Eric Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, man. Moving along. <laughs> um, also, also in my notes, I just wanted to touch on this. I'm not going to dwell on it because I figured that you know we'll we'll do more when it's when it's closer to us and we know more other than just speculation at this point. But I just want to point out how excited I am that the the announcement was finally made it is official there is going to be a star tours 2.0 i'm so psyched for that i think it's going to be utterly awesome i'm a huge star tours fan and uh you know it's just it's about time that that ride got a little love because it it is a very um, and I mean, it's, it's an old attraction now. It needs some love. You know, mo- movies are one thing. You know, you guys know me. I don't like the special edition treatments when it comes to my movies. But, but you know, theme park rides are a whole different beast. There comes a point where you got to look at it and go, I love this, but it feels old or it feels worn out or, or it really needs an update or whatever. And Star Tours is one of those things where as awesome it is, as it is, it is largely based on Return of the Jedi, you know, a movie that's what coming up on 27 years old and it feels 27 years old. So, you know, it, it really needs some love. It really needs a, a big budget update. And the stuff that I've actually seen and the stuff that I've heard rumored is going to happen with that update. I'm psyched for man. I, I think it's going to be absolutely incredible. I've got, you know, the, the highest faith in Lucasfilm and Disney Corporation, and I think Star Tours 2 is going to be the most awesome theme ride we've ever seen. So, seriously excited for that. And uh, you, uh, just before we started, you said something about you had a comic book question yeah. that to drop on me. I was gonna. I've been meaning to ask you this, but because I, I just won an eBay auction for Ooh. something I've never heard of, Star Wars. Uh-oh. Uh oh. It's all six movies, Star Wars photo comics. Oh wow! Have you ever heard of those? I, I, you know, I gotta, I, I gotta be honest. I've never heard Neither of that. Have it, I. 
is it foreign or no it, i i don't know who i can't remember who the, i don't remember who the publisher is but it, it, it they looked like trade paperback size and it's all six movies and then there's one a seventh one just sort of sitting on the uh, there's seven of them all told the seventh one is a clone wars trade paperback which i think is just the clone wars comic Maybe. Huh. I don't think it's a photo. I don't think it's like a photo novel adaption of the movie or anything like that. Although that would I be have really seen cool. a photo novel adaption of the Clone Wars movie oh, though. Well, so maybe it, it is. Yeah, it may be something related to that, that where would be the really other cool. Yeah. Be- because the description of them was really vague. It was one of those people who are like, I'm selling all my stuff and here's some comics, everything must go. Everything must go. I'm watching right now a Star Wars Revenge of the Sith ILM crew long-sleeved extra-large t-shirt. <laughs> but I probably won't get that. I'm watching a Tim Burton Mars Attacks ILM t-shirt, too. That's really ah. cheap, now, cheap, when, cheap. When we were at Dragon Con, did you pick up... There was a little thing. It was like it was like a religious track size comic book thing i think it was called like clone wars sampler or something like that i did i don't know what i did with it it was like about six pages long yes and it was like a photo novel comic of one of the clone wars episodes and the thing if i'm thinking of the same thing the thing you're talking about with the clone wars thing that you just won was was like the old-fashioned photo novels but it was like in comic form, but it was a photo novel adaptation of the Clone Wars movie. And so I'm wondering if if that's all under the same publisher and all under the same banner, if they actually did the entire six movie saga plus that Clone Wars, that could be really cool. I That's something that I, I got to admit, I'm totally unaware of. Maybe we have some, uh, some listeners out there that know more about that, yeah. you know. The, could fill us in on, on that but well, the, yeah that's the six movies all look like they have sort of photographic covers you know they're, they're, um, huh? the return of the Jedi one looks almost just like the you remember the storybooks that they used to come out with yes. it almost uh-huh. looks exactly like the return of the Jedi storybook oh, wow. it's got Luke in his all black outfit that he was on the skiff it, and they all look like public. They're all publicity shots, and the picture is a little out of focus. So, it's. I can't tell if they're maybe you know very photographic pieces of artwork or you know just photoshopped artwork. And the Clone Wars is actually drawn like the Clone Wars comic that's coming out now. The cover of it's oh, drawn. Okay. It's, yeah. it's, Lu- it's Luke and or Luke, Anakin and Obi Wan, with their lightsabers out. So it's it's hard to say. It just says Star Wars Clone Wars on it. I don't see any publisher name on them, anything like that. They all look at the same size and the same thickness. So, so I'm very you know, excited we, about that. I love I love photo novels for some reason. I love them. We talk up a lot, you know, the the Clone Wars show, and rightly so, because I think it's awesome. But I don't. I wonder sometimes if we're giving quite enough uh, of lip service and and everything to. To the comic because I'm digging that man, man that's good, and I'm trying to remember what what issue it was. I want to say it was number seven. I could be wrong, but there was a recent one that was a, a snow battle, and it had um, 
Plo Koon and uh, Kit Fisto were on the cover. Imagine if Kit Fisto and Plo Koon had fought in the Battle of Hoth, and that's kind of what this cover looked like. Uh-huh. And it was drawn drawn by Dave Filoni, who's you know the big guy behind the Clone Wars show, and it was awesome. I put it up on the forum, you know, with I forget what, what the title of the thread was, but it was something like you know, isn't this just gorgeous yeah. or something like that? But it, oh, it was a beautiful piece of art. I'd love to see that as a as a poster, poster or, something, or a yeah. t-shirt yeah it was it was just beautiful but uh that's uh that's about all i've got for for just news and general goings on in the beginning here what else you got uh that's about it i've got going uh in my star wars world right now um if uh every everybody goes to youtube and goes to the user two true freaks and there's a link to it on our libsyn page you can see uh our Star Wars panel right now the adult themes of Star Wars panels up and that's not for the kiddies <laughs> no but it's there on YouTube the whole thing whole like hour and 16 minutes of it or something and now, uh, can can I pin you down can I can I can I get your commitment right here right now that by the time this episode goes up that the yes. Clone Wars panel will okay yeah it'll be it'll be up by then it'll be up okay. by the time this episode comes out because I love them both, I was proud to participate in both, and and every you know it was totally awesome. But the Clone Wars one's my favorite. That that one that one just I thought we ruled that panel, and I I thought it was just a great fun panel. Plus it's more kid you know, it's totally kid accessible. Yeah, there were but, kids but, there. Yeah, asking there were us kids questions. present, and yeah, I, I kept my my tongue under control and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, that's a great, great family-safe episode to, to watch uh, or, you know, to panel to listen to on, on YouTube. The other one, the adult theme panel, no, you know, so just much. by the name should tell you everything you need to know about that one. That one's not yeah, for Yeah, there was kids. nobody under 18 allowed into that panel to watch it, so it it, it, go, it basically it goes there. <laughs> yeah, it does. And it sort of goes beyond. It went beyond what I thought it would go. So there you go. That's a that's a good teaser, isn't it? If thought, especially if someone knows me, it went beyond where I even thought it would go. <laughs> that's scary territory. Yeah, though. it is. It, it's. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> I'm very, uh, the 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 um, the Star Wars Clone Wars one is just awesome too. Cause, yeah, that was just a that was a there there, there was a lot of good conversation, and we're gonna have. We'll probably, you know, someday we hope to have George Christick on from that panel. And there was also this uh, girl in the audience who was asking really good questions. You know, she wasn't asking, you know, nerdy, you know, this doesn't line up with this or, you know, what about this and this? She was asking questions in context with societal things and more of the ideas and concepts right. of Clone Wars, which is what fascinate, fascinates me. Well, she has that else. video up on on YouTube where she kind of starts out saying what what you and I kind of felt was that you know, it was an awesome panel, we had a great time, but unfortunately there was there was a a little bit too much um of the bitchy fan thing going on, you know, where people were going, well, I don't like Clone Wars because blah, 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 blah. And it was like, look, we love it. We're here because we love it. We want to talk about what we love. We really don't want to get into 
you know, why we think it sucks t territory. So we tried to steer it away from there. And I love that girl's video. She, cause she right out of the gate, she's like, what is wrong with these people? Or however she put it, you gotta, you gotta check it out. And do you remember the name of that clip or the, or what her identity is that she goes under Not for that Not off the clip? top of my head. It was, yeah. it was Dragon Con Clone Wars panel. You could probably, yeah. if, yeah, you you put, if you put Dragon Con Clone Wars panel, it would probably come up and, uh, it's funny because I watch that and I go, "Oh my God!" There, there's, there's the the um, Clone Wars author standing at the podium, and I'm just going, "Well, George Lucas is an independent film, blah blah blah." <laughs> as if I actually know George Lucas, as if I've actually been within a thousand miles of George Lucas, and I'm talking about his motivations as a filmmaker and stuff, and I'm watching it going, "Man, I'm talking some serious shit there." <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome, though. <laughs> Well, yeah, you'll be you'll be able to put all that in better context, I think, once once, once our video up. goes up of the of the entire yeah. thing, because yeah, it kind of catches the tail end of your of your um, rambling rant, yeah, shit rambling. <laughs> well, you want to take a little break, and we'll yeah, come we'll back take with a little uh, ramble Clone through Wars? the shit, and come right back. All right, and we'll talk about Clone Wars. Sweet. Hey, you true freaks. That boy, Hand Metal Hero from the boards, also known as Chris. Uh, just uh, giving you a call. Love the show. Leaving some really uh, lame posts recently since I finally decided to get off my ass and join the board. I am currently ducking work right now, having uh, just finished listening to the RoboCop commentary. Great choice. Great movie. Just wanted to say it was awesome. Um, trying to think of something witty to say. But I can't fucking think right now because uh, work sucks and I don't have any Diet Pepsi-Cola. I get no caffeine. Eat some. But, uh, yeah, keep up the great work. Uh, maybe I'll leave another message when I have something more important to say. But uh, if you can't tell from the horrific accent, uh, yeah, I'm from Boston. You can hear it. That's right. Khakis and all that shit. Uh, I'll let you guys go because I'm starting to ramble. But uh, rock and roll. See ya. Star Wars, the Clone Wars. Ignore your instincts at your peril. A daring raid led by Asajj Ventress occupies both Jedi Master Luminara Unduli and Padawan Ahsoka Tano while traitorous Senate Commando Captain Argaius frees Trade Federation Viceroy Newt Gunray, who was captured by Padme, C-3PO, and Jar Jar Binks in the previous episode. All right, so what did you think of this one? This was, uh, I don't know the title. I know these uh, episodes have titles, but they don't actually say the titles in the shows, do they? It seems like no. it's somewhere like you got to go online somewhere and they've all got names or whatever but i don't actually see the titles in the shows nine times out of ten mm -hmm. uh yeah it's usually i would you know you when i see it i think the title is ignore your instincts at your own peril <laughs> but uh i love this episode this was this is this is a great one i just rewatched it and i remembered as soon as i it started oh yeah this is a good one because it is action Yes. Action, action, Jedi, good, cool Jedi lightsaber fighting and 
just general tomfoolery and things blowing up real good. Yeah. Yeah, I like I I liked it um a lot. Yeah, it just was visually very exciting and very Star Wars. And um story-wise it was a very classic Star Wars theme of betrayal. There's always some sort, you know, right? It, it, right it, it reminded me of the um Boba Fett cartoon in the Christmas special actually. Yeah, yeah, you you're know. right. Now let me okay. ask you something. I, I you know with a, with apologize apologies to the fellows at Lucasfilm. I want to get my one complaint with this episode right out of the way at the beginning because it is a big one and it's a, you know like you said it, it's this is a kick-ass action episode and I just think it's a really good thing that it is because otherwise this this nitpick might be more than a nitpick. But it, you know as it is with all the rest of the episode being awesome. This other little problem is relegated to the status of nitpick, but it is the fact that I, I'm not, I don't want to sound big headed. So you tell me if you feel the same way. Did, did you not see this betrayal with captain Argaius oh, coming yeah. like a mile away? I mean, oh, as yeah. soon as the guy's introduced, I felt like, Ooh, that that guy's kind of scummy. He's going to probably turn on them and, and betray them to, you know, to, for money or whatever for, for yep. Newt Gunray. I just felt like it was telegraphed so – and maybe that was on purpose. I don't know. But it just seemed like it, you know, nothing that happens with Argaius or ultimately to Argaius, you know, it, it all felt like, oh, you know, it was kind of very like villain cliche. You know what I mean? I, I saw his betrayal coming yeah. and then ultimately what happens to him at the end, I was like, Oh God, I saw that coming too. So, you know, but I don't, I don't want to seem over, overly critical because I loved the rest of the episode. It's just his, his whole deal. I really like, almost wish it was a faceless clone. Well, that you know what it, it was? It was that flash Gordon Hawkman outfit that he was wearing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't trust that guy automatically. Yep. Something's up with him. <laughs> You're right too. Yeah, he did very much look like a flashback to the old, you know, those old serials or whatever. You're right. Yeah, with his with his. I, well, I called it Prince Valiant hair when I watched uh, the episode before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Flash Gordon is is probably a more apt comparison. But uh, also, I, I want to hear from somebody who who probably knows a, a heck of a lot more on this subject than I do. But I feel like I'm getting mixed messages in the relationship between. Um, Asajj Ventress and Count Dooku is she or is she not his apprentice because some things seem to say yes and some things seem to say most definitely no because I just finished a book not long ago as a matter of fact it's a book I'm going to talk about here in a few minutes in a book review um, where it was made very clear that Count Dooku refused to be her apprentice for a number of reasons not the least of which is you know Sith tradition would call for her to eventually slay her master and Count Dooku wasn't having none of that you know right. so so it seems like kind of a mixed message with that master and apprentice relationship between the two of them and I just looked at her as another uh layer between the the emperor and the jedi you know she would just right. just sending her out just adds another wrinkle to it to who's behind the true thing, you know, it's, it's Sidious to Dooku to Ventress, you know, so they would have to do some backtracking to figure out where this, you know, Sith came from, whether, you know, they know, they know about Dooku, so, Mm -hmm. you know, 
so it just adds a it's just more static I think by uh Sidious. Ah. Um there. possibly. It what I liked about this episode is we got to see a Jedi interrogation and they use good cop, bad cop with a yes. as the bad cop. <laughs> it was great. And and you can tell Anakin, Ahsoka is Anakin's Padawan because she's getting the brash impulsiveness and and talking back to her superiors and you know you can see a lot of Anakin in her. You know she's picking up his bad some, traits, <laughs> some of his bad traits. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's but that's a nice little bit of character development and what what's basically a big lightsaber fight episode. You know. Yeah. Now that I mean, there is so much coolness in this episode. I mean, I really like uh, when Ventress. She did kind of the the Wolverine thing, you know, where she runs, she jumps in the elevator shaft, and then she jabs her lightsabers yeah. into the, the wall of the shaft and uses them to descend. That was awesome. I thought that was very cool, and and just visually very stunning. I thought that was really neat, and I liked, you know, we we got another new ship in this one. You know, which was the boarding ships. They they look like a like a tack that you would stick into like a like a uh, like a memo board or something. Right. You know, they were like a big flying tack, and they actually jammed themselves into the ship. You know, and then they would open up and disgorge all these battle droids and stuff. But I thought that was a great idea. You know, of this giant, you know ship that would just pierce into the side of another ship to to let troops in and everything i thought that was great uh -huh. i don't think we have we ever seen anything like that in no. star wars before? no i i mean i think we'd seen something like that in uh in star trek i think you know but i'd never seen anything quite like that in star wars i just thought it was a great idea and and, and really pulled off you know so so well visually, you know, it was really a, a stunning effect, the way they just would slam right into the ship and you'd see this giant spike come through the other side and open up, and I thought that was cool. And there was that uh, that droid that looked like uh, like Luke's Treadwell droid, I thought was really cool. Yeah. You know, the one that's going into the reactor, looking around and all that, that was really cool. Yep, that was a very Star Wars moment, having, the, mm -hmm. having, having a little droid experience there. But yeah, I, I, I thought this was a great one. It was a great visual, especially, episode. And, it, you know, I mean, logically, Ventress being, you know, a Sith, je having Jedi force powers, I mean, it's obvious that Jedi can jump huge distances and just sort of break themselves. So she didn't really need <laughs> to, to slow her descent with, with lightsabers. But, man, it looks good, you know? Oh, yeah. You don't think about that while it's happening. It's just like, that's cool and uh, I, I would love somewhere down the road if we get some sort of uh, I don't know like a box set or something with the music of Clone Wars because this was another episode with just a really good score I've noticed that that they they've started to back off a little bit from some of those like you know, rock and rolly kind of oh, scores yeah. that, that no, we were fussing out in the very beginning. This it, was a much more classic. It's especially at the very beginning, there's a scene with, and now I'm trying to remember her name. The other, the other Jedi, Luminara. Was, yes, is, is in the in the cockpit of the ship, and there's just this. You can tell it's almost. I don't know if it's her theme, but it's a very like female sort of. It's a very John Williamsy 
sort of theme playing in the background. It's very distinct, and that's where I was like, hey, the music in this one is, is you know, sounding really good, you know? Mm-hmm. And I noticed it all through it, that it had really good really good music, had a beheading. Always like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really good music, and I thought the animation... I mean, I think the animation through the entire series is, is awesome, but I really like to point out when I think it, it it's especially great you know when there's when there's a really awesome moment with the animation and you know the the episode before this um you know when they were on oh my god i can't believe i'm gonna blank on the name of that planet uh what was the rhodia was it rhodia that they were on so yeah you know that was beautiful in the in the alien nature of that planet and everything i thought was just gorgeous in this one i thought the standout moments were you know there's a there's one scene where luminara gets pinned by that you know, whatever it is, that big piece of ironwork or whatever. Metal, yeah. And and just as it goes to commercial, Ventress comes walking up, you know, with her lightsabers ignited, and there's all that red fiery glow and steelwork behind her. And it reminded me an awful lot of the upshots that we would get um in the carbon freezing chamber in, in the Empire Strikes Back of Vader standing up there like looming yeah. over Luke and all the orange light behind him and it was almost the same kind of shot and I thought it was just gorgeous it was really beautiful looking shot I'd love to see like a poster or some wallpaper for my computer or something made of that picture it's just beautiful you know just a, a really nice shot with the colors I thought the colors were really vibrant and just really awesome uh I'm trying to think of the word, you know, uh, ominous, you know, right. with, with her standing over her like she was just about to kill her, you know, deliver the killing blow. Well, um, since we don't do any actual real research, I can't <laughs> confirm this, but I think the voice of Argaius was the guy who plays Obi-Wan. There were several points uh-huh. towards the end where I was listening to him going, this guy, I think it's the same voice actor. And Obi-Wan isn't in this episode, so... You know, it, he probably didn't have much to do besides do Captain Argaius. So I think right. he was the voice of Captain Argaius. You could be right. I'll have to look. I'll have to see if I can remember. I'll see if I can look that up and, and confirm or yeah. deny that. But uh, we have some feedback. I'm sorry. Were you done with your? Yeah, that's your about all I got. Yeah. Okay. We have some feedback from our you know good friend of the show, Mei Chun. Which covers a little bit of uh, of the field of Star Wars and what we've, we've been talking about, and eventually has a little bit to say about this particular episode. So I'll go ahead and read that. He says, "You've covered the 3D Star Wars comics from Blackthorn when I had also, by coincidence, just reread them not too long uh, beforehand. I agree that Luke's return to Tatooine in issue one and the scouting of Hoth as a future rebel base in issue two were surprisingly good, both in art and writing." I echoed Chris's sentiment about the camouflage netting over the Millennium Falcon on tattooing being a neat effect and was cracking up about the comment about Throg planting flowers on what looked like Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru's burial mounds. <laughs> that is very funny. I just like the name Throg. Throg. <laughs> it sounds kind of dirty somehow, doesn't it? Scott yeah. brought up how he never thought of tattooing as a small... Uh, wait a minute. 
Scott brought up how he uh, thought of Tatooine as a small, pitiful planet, and I agree. I never liked the added throngs of people and vehicles in the special edition and preferred the half-deserted feeling of Mos Eisley in the original unaltered versions. Me too. I also laughed out loud at Chris comparing the overpriced food and hot environment of Disney World to Tatooine. Yes, that was <laughs> I, I, that was very funny. Good observation there. I enjoyed how the readings of Chewbacca's lines have also grown to include your dramatic performances of the narration and dialogue of other characters in the review of the last part of the Wheels story arc and Marvel's Star Wars comic. I plan to do more of that, by the way, because I, I, I get a kick out of that listening back at it, too, when we do like dramatic readings of like really bad dialogue. I love doing stuff like that. There were some great insights in comparing the similarities of this story with The Empire Strikes Back. From the independent city, the wheel versus clouds, or, you know, wheel slash cloud city, to the morally ambiguous leader, Gray Shade slash Lando Calrissian, to his robotic aide, Master Calm slash Lobot. I even uh, loved how the sound effects of Bork made you reminisce about the sound you guys made as kids during empty paper towel roll fights. That is very true. And by the way, we'll have some more comparisons here shortly of more things that, you know, I don't know if they're coincidences or what between, you know, the, the pre-Empire issues of Marvel Star Wars and then some events that we would actually oh, come yeah. to see in Empire. There's even more of them coming up in this very episode. Uh, your enthusiastic preview of the next few Star Wars issues made me read ahead and 25 and 26 are a high water mark for the series so far with 24 and 27 being really good as well. The narration and dialogue are dramatic and snappy. With the art rising to the occasion, we get to see some really imaginative situations and some of the most desperate circumstances facing the rebellion up to that point. Uh, add in a compelling new foe and a great action-packed climax uh, that that is also uh, key to Luke's development as a Jedi, and it's a bit surprising to realize that Han and Chewbacca aren't even in these two issues. Finally, I'd like to bring up something that has bothered me about the Star Wars prequels and their associated storylines to see what you think. Knowing all the misery Darth Vader causes, not to mention all the people and Jedi he kills as Anakin, I find it hard for uh, to root for him during the prequels. I also didn't have much sympathy for the clones because of how they all turned and slaughtered the Jedi uh, they had fought, bled, and died beside. Uh, I know that the novelization or subsequent material might have expanded on what compelled the clones to do that, but I could never believe, based on what was shown in the movie itself, that fellow soldiers could do that to each other uh, unless it was due to mass mind control or some genetic level imperative built into the clones. Maybe if some of the clones were shown to have disobeyed or experienced some guilt over their actions afterwards. As a result, I don't really care for Anakin and the clones as protagonists. Um, I, I actually would love to touch on that. Touch if away. You care, you know, if you care to, before we get into the, the last bit of this is where he actually talks about this Clone Wars episode that we just reviewed. I, I, I'm tempted to re see, I could really get into that subject. I think I'm actually going to table that for another time because have we done the review of the episode yet with the with the clone trooper who actually no. betrays his brothers yeah no, i want to wait and, and talk more about that when we get to that episode because that there's some great great talking points yeah. that come out of that episode 
But I will touch on, you know, what Mayi brings up about rooting for Anakin. I find it very easy to root for Anakin, actually, because, yes, we know where he's going, that he's going to become Darth Vader not long after this. But, you know, playing devil's advocate, shit, we knew that when we sat down to watch episode one. You know, when when you went right. to see it in 99, you knew damn well that, that you know, little nine-year-old Anakin was going to be Darth Vader somewhere some some day and, and so despite the actors who played him you ended up by episode three kind of caring about him oh absolutely what happened to him so absolutely yeah i mean i i will i will admit that i i choked up and shed tears just as much as you know my my youngest who was five at the time sitting there bawling. i don't want anakin to fall to the dark side i felt the same way i still feel the same way when i watch that movie knowing what happens and you know what? I, I, you know, it seems funny to me. Didn't we just have this conversation? I think that it makes me, you know, the more I get into this television show, Clone Wars, and the more I read the novels and the more I read the comics series that's coming out, all based on Clone Wars, the more Anakin I get and the more Ahsoka and Ben Kenobi and all these characters and the more invested I get in the Clone Wars saga. I think just adds to that every time I rewatch Revenge oh, of the Sith, it just makes that scene punch me in the gut that much harder because I do care for him as a hero. I think he's a great hero. I think he's this generation's Luke Skywalker and he's a great character and I've come to really enjoy him in that role. So I think it makes his fall more and more powerful every time you watch it because you're you're just continually more invested in him as a hero and so yeah for me it works that that's the way i approach it anyway but i absolutely see where you're coming from on the other aspect having grown up with him as darth vader that it makes it hard to see him and root for him as a hero sure i can understand that i can perfectly see that but for me i don't know i just see it a, a little bit different way what do you what do you think, Chris? I'm, I'm I, inv- I invest totally in it too. I I completely you know take the leap of faith when I watch a Clone Wars episode, and I I I, I almost think of Anakin separate from Darth Vader, almost like Obi Wan did in Star Wars. You know, as almost as two unity. separate people. Yeah, he'd almost he was almost referring to them as two separate people. You know, the person known as Anakin Skywalker died, right? You know, one day, and uh, and yeah, so I I I completely by him as the good guy and from episode two right to right through all the clone wars you know an interesting story i think would be really interesting to to read or hell to even write for that matter i think you and i could write a story like this you know those else worlds or not else worlds what were they called um um Oh, the sort of alternate reality what if, version. Yeah. Sort what of, were they of, called? Infinities? Star Wars Infinities? Star Wars Infinities. I would Infinities. love to see in a Star Wars Infinities story where where Ben didn't die, in you know, where, where Vader didn't kill him on the Death Star. Ben actually lives right up until the point of Vader's redemption in, in Return of the Jedi. That would be really a, that would be a great scene well, of, of I, what Ben I, and Anakin reuniting. Well, not, 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 here's where I'm going with that, though. I wonder, all right, say in the battle between Luke and Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi, say that battle had actually taken place between Ben and Vader. Do you think Ben 
would have been as hell bent on redeeming Darth Vader, you know, slash Anakin as Luke was, or if he would have just outright destroyed him because he had long ago come to, yeah, like you say, treat them as two different people that he had basically written Anakin off as dead and treated Darth Vader as purely an enemy. So I wonder how differently that scene would play if it had been Ben Kenobi on the second Death Star facing Darth Vader and the Emperor. I bet you that would play out completely differently. It would. I, uh, well, I don't think the Emperor would be screwing around. Like, he, in this one, the Emperor's, you know, you know, basically recreating the whole scene with Anakin and Dooku. Right. He's sitting in his chair and just soaking it in, and whoever wins, you know, that's who's going to be his number one. And he's just sitting there. He's kind of rooting for Luke, you know? Like he was rooting for Anakin back in those days, and and Vader realized it, you know, and chucked him down a hole. But uh, <laughs> so if Ben Kenobi was there, the Emperor would just start flinging force bolts. I think, <laughs> I think he would just, you know, I think it would be more of an all-out battle. But who I, knows? Yeah. It, it might, it, you know, it, at the at the same point, you know, Ben might be able, Ben might be able to. Uh, if if anybody besides Luke was gonna turn Darth Vader back, it would be Ben, you know. That's because true. they were they were like brothers, you know. Mm-hmm. I would love to read that story or write that story. I think I think that has a lot of potential. Anyway, I'm gonna finish up May Yi's letter here. Um, this is where he gets to uh, the episode we were just talking about. He says there were a couple of Star Wars: The Clone Wars episodes that I greatly enjoyed, but they didn't feature Anakin or the clones very much. The first one was Cloak of Darkness, Episode 9. That's the one we just talked about, where Ahsoka has to work with another Jedi, Lum- uh, Luminara Unduli, to prevent Newt Gunray from being taken from their ship by Asajj Ventress. Much of my enjoyment of this episode came from the exploration of the relationship between Ahsoka and Luminara, as well as the look at the motivations behind the character of Senate Commando um, Captain Argaius. I, I completely agree, although I would argue I don't... Is there much of a relationship between Ahsoka and and Luminara? They just kind of seem haphazardly thrown together you with don't each know. other. You don't know. It could have been from the past, you know, in the academy or something. She could have been one of her teachers at some point. Who knows? That's true. He also comments on episode 15, um, Trespass, which we have not gotten to yet. So I'm going to skip that for now. I'll save that discussion for another time for when we actually get to that. But that is a great episode. Um, He wraps up by saying, while talking to uh, my friend, he came up with a great solution to my dislike of Anakin in the prequels. Have the focus of the movie switch from Anakin to Obi-Wan Kenobi. I I thought it was a fantastic idea since Obi-Wan was a much more interesting and likable protagonist to me than the bratty little kid and the creepy Amidala stalker that Anakin grew up (laughs) to become. (laughs) That's a good point. And I do like Obi-Wan a lot, even though... That's one of my problems with going from, you know, if you watch them now in chronological order, going straight from like one through six, somewhere in that process, Obi-Wan, you know, old Obi-Wan played by Alec Guinness goes from someone I loved as a kid and looked up to and thought was a very, you know, noble knight type of character to now he seems kind of like a, I don't know what, you know, he... He's just he, for more once, humanized. 
Well, he seems like more of a pathological. No, I'm talking old Obi Wan. Oh. You know, because it, because we're colored now by the prequel trilogy. Doesn't he come off as like a pathological liar? He's deceptive. Every, well, yeah, he's yeah. being deceptive. Yeah, everything he tells Luke is basically a lie, and so I think it does change how you can perceive him or how he he is perceived. Well, but still, he's also I, I, he's also like he's there to sort of he's there to sort of watch over Luke and make sure Luke he probably wants to keep Luke away from Vader as long as possible you know right so he's doing whatever he's he, you know he's doing whatever he was meant to and you know he could and according to the prequels he's been sitting in his hut talking to Qui-Gon for right for the whole time too so you know meditating and talking to Qui-Gon so who knows what Qui-Gon was telling him you know well, I, I would say it was to all me, Qui Gon telling him to lie. <laughs> it's Qui Gon's fault. I never liked him anyway. Uh, <laughs> I would say to me, you keep watching Clone Wars because my my gut feeling is is that we're going to see Obi Wan step much more into the primary role. You know, that be much more the focus in season two. That's just my gut, and from some things that were said, you know, at Star Wars weekends and different things that I've read, I, I really have the feeling that that Obi Wan is going to take much more that front and center position in season two. At least I hope so, because I am of the firm belief that you know, yes, Anakin is awesome. Yes, Luke is you know the the New Hope and all that. But ultimately, to me, the greatest Jedi Knight was Obi Wan Kenobi, and the only reason he died was he got old. You know, Vader beat him because he was old. He had he had the edge. He let him you win. Know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think yeah, he did. He let him. He he martyred himself for Luke and all that sort of thing. Which you know, we'll we'll get into that later on. But uh, but yeah. Um, let's see. Wrapping this up, he says doing more with the arc of Kenobi going from Qui Gon Jinn's impulsive student uh, to being re- uh, to being responsible for teaching Anakin uh, to the pain of having failed to keep Anakin from the dark side of the Force would have been much more appealing to me. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty much is the story isn't it (laughs) he says plus i am still not convinced that the star wars saga has always uh been intended to have been about anakin skywalker from the start i don't know i i don't know again that's i've heard george lucas himself say that is exactly his intention but i don't know i mean how much of that is retconning too i i don't honestly know because there are things that that lucas said with with all respect to to george there are things that he has said that I don't buy, you know, like the whole thing that he had plotted from the very beginning that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. I, I, I still don't buy that. I think that that was a last minute type of thing. Anyway, he says, uh, well, thanks again for taking the time to listen to my ramblings. I appreciate your hard work on two true freaks podcast and look forward to each new installment. Take it easy. May Yi Chun. Thank you. May Yi, for the awesome feedback. We really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I need more of you folks to, to write in. You know, we do read all this stuff. We do try to read all this stuff, you know, on the and, and address it on the air or wherever. So, you know, write in. Let us know what your thoughts are on any of this bullshit that we say. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was eating a Twinkie. Hi, friends. It's me, Orca Stay Free. And this is the Orca Book Club. 
Welcome back to Orca's Book Club. This time around, I am talking about Star Wars Yoda Dark Rendezvous by Sean Stewart. This was the um, audiobook, the abridged version of the audiobook read by Jonathan Davis. In this novel, you know, this one's set during the midst of the Clone Wars, Yoda receives back channel communications from Count Dooku requesting a face to face meeting to discuss cessation of hostilities and the possibility of, of Dooku returning to the light side and possibly even to the Jedi Order. Um, Dooku was a student of Yoda's and appeals to Yoda, you know, kind of through their shared history as, uh, as master and student, um, for Yoda to come to him, to meet with him, you know, at his, uh, castle on this planet he lives on or whatever. And, uh, you know, but the, the mystery to this book is, you know, is, is Dooku sincere or is all this just some sort of elaborate trap set to, you know, capture or destroy Yoda, who is essentially the heart of the Jedi Order? I don't want to give too much away uh, in this book. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm just going to tell you, I really enjoyed this book. And you know, if you've listened to my Star Wars book reviews that, you know, I don't say that about a lot of them. I consider a lot of them to be very hit and miss and all that. But this was a really good book. I enjoyed this one. First and foremost, because it gave me what I've been waiting for for a long time, which was the backstory and insight into Count Dooku. I think he's an interesting character, and I wanted to learn more about him. And this book finally filled in a lot of the details of who exactly was he, where did he come from, what's his story, how did he fall out with the Jedi, stuff like that. You know, Basically, how did he get to where he is by the time we meet him in Episode 2? And this, this book really filled a lot of that in for me. Um, it also fills in a lot of the relationship um, between Asajj Ventress and Count Dooku. But again, you know, as I pointed out earlier in the, in the Clone Wars episode we just reviewed, uh, it does seem to conflict with things that are said elsewhere. You know, this is an instance where it's clearly stated in here that, that she is not his apprentice, whereas you know, that episode says that you know, she's – it doesn't necessarily say she is, but she's basically vying for the job. So – there's a little bit of inconsistency there, but it's not enough to like ruin my enjoyment or even your enjoyment of this book or anything. I highly recommend this one. I thought it was very good. And uh, two words to uh, kind of lure you into reading this one, Dark Yoda. That's all I'll say. It's a really good book. You gots to check it out. That's Star Wars Yoda Dark Rendezvous by Sean Stewart. Read it. It was good. It's not Black Yoda, though. <laughs> Hey, if, ghetto, che if Chewbacca Yoda. was a black vampire, he'd be Chewblackula. Oh, that would be awesome. I would go see that. Chewblackula. With a big cape. He'd have to have yeah. like a big Lando-style cape. Or he could and, be, and... he could just oh. be like, he could dress in a Star Trek outfit and be Chewbacula. This has been the Orca Book Club. Long ago in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. 
Hey, we're back at Star Wars Monthly Monday number 12. I'm here with Scott Gardner and I'm Chris Honeywell. Hey. Hey. <laughs> and uh <laughs> it's <laughs> after a little breather of talking about Star Wars, we're back to our Star Wars Marvel comics. And starting right back up with uh issue 27 and I'm embarrassed to say I don't have it sitting in front of me. I'll open that up right now. And once you... again it's a Carmine Infantino, Wyacek, um, art, so which has sort of become the standard classic of it. And this one's Return of the Hunter. And finally, after like what 17 issues or something, they finally use the Valance the Hunter character that they. Uh, yeah. When invented. was the last time we saw him by this? Because he, you know, he 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 debuted in what was it like number sixteen, and then we saw him. When was the last? We he saw just him again. Had a little walk in on on another one, but yeah. it was it was it was you know close to a year ago. You know, in comic right. time on this. So uh, we find Valance of Bounty Hunter. He's on the planet Junction, and he's just catching bounties. Conjunction Junction. What's the fuck is its function? <laughs> <laughs> and he's just there catching bounties and killing droids, basically. He's, you know, catching up, claiming some bounties, and then he goes to this junk dealer and will just buy all his droids and kill them because <laughs> he hates droids so much. And, you know, he wants to kill Luke Skywalker. He's just obsessed with Luke Skywalker because Luke pals around with droids, and droids are the lowest scum in the world. And oh, did I mention that Valance is half cyborg as we would went through it, you know, a few issues, episodes back and on that issue, you know, it was revealed that he's half cyborg, so he's sort of a self loathing character. Mm -hmm. And uh so he wants to kill Luke because he pals around with, with his robots and treats them like people. In an amazing set of coincidences, Luke and 3PO are going out on like this sort of dual mission to check the Imperial blockade that's been a pain in the ass to him and to get some extra parts for R2 who's been blasted up in the the last issue and uh, so they're, they're checking out the Imperial blockade and, and they uh, you know come around the corner of a planet and there's an Imperial uh, battlecruiser sitting there and it starts to chase them and they escape into an asteroid field and they go to where? Junction! Because that's the place they're going to look for scrap parts to fix R2. And of course, they go to the junk shop, the very same junk shop that Valens hangs out with to destroy droids. And, you know, he's been telling the, the shopkeeper um, all about how, you know, he want to keep an eye out for, you know, some blonde kid with, two, with an R2 and a 3PO unit. And of course, Luke just walks right in looking for R2 parts. And so the guy calls up Valance, you know, on the horn and is like, hey, look, I got, I think I got him here. Meanwhile, Valance on his way there, he sees an, uh, an Imperial uh, spy whipping away from the shop. So he, he knows he's going back to report to Vader that Luke's here because Vader's desperately trying to find out who Luke Skywalker is. So Valance kills the Imperial spy and, uh, you know, before he can report to Vader. Then he uh, confronts Luke and 3PO at the shop and, you know, tries to destroy 3PO. And Luke sort of throws him out of the way and and uh, and they fight, you know. And Valance has a cool blaster on his hand and it's blaster on the hand versus lightsaber. And um, 
Eventually, Valens has Luke down on the ground, and 3PO steps in between, at, you know, to, to block the shot. And Luke's like, 3PO, I told you to get back to the ship. And 3PO's like, hey, you know, it makes sense. If I get between you and him, that'll give you that much more time to recover. You'll be able to win. And Valens is so confused and impressed by this droid showing compassion to its human owner that he just lets him go. He just says, you know, get out of here before I change my mind. And, oh yeah! Did I mention, I think uh, Princess Leia's screwing General Dadana. <laughs> and that's where I'll end it on that little, uh, that little, uh, I thought I'd leave that. So that, 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 the story that I just told is basically the story in the comic. There's a one page interlude with, with Leia on Yavin and, you know, she's, she's standing on the top of some of the ruins, you know, pondering, you know, her fate and she's just griping to Dodonna that, you know, listen, I want to go and kick some ass. You know, if you have me here as a figurehead, which is what he's saying, you know, you're too important symbolically. And she's like, look, you know, I mean, if, if I'm just skulking around in the background, I'm no better than, than, uh, the emperor, you know? And, uh, I think that's what she said. I'm no better than the emperor skulking in his palace. Right. So, so she wants to go and have some adventures and she was she saying, does... and then she says something like, you know, I've let my personal feelings for Luke Skywalker, my concern over him, you know, color my decisions, and I can't give in to such feelings. And you should realize the same thing. And then the next frame, she's kissing him on the cheek. Rubbing with, his ear. But she's rubbing his ear, and he's got this shit-eating grin on his <laughs> face. It's just a, like, hey. And she's saying, you know, she goes, you're trying to protect me the same way I tried to protect Luke. I appreciate it. And all this, all you know, these are the words that are, you know, I'm, I'm actually stressing the words that are stressed in the comic. But we both deserve... Okay, let me start over. You're trying to protect me the way I've tried to protect Luke. I appreciate it. But we both deserve better than that. And so does the Alliance. Now, let's go inside. This air makes me talk. This night air makes me talk too much. And she's like kissing him on the cheek and fondling his ear. And he's just like, hey, yeah, let's go inside. <laughs> What's up with that? What's up with that? Uh, you know, you you are very perceptive. Very I, perce- I never caught that. That Yeah, it's it could easily be interpreted that way, that, that she used sex to get a mission. That's wrong, Princess Leia. I, just, no, well, I, think, I guess it's no, no worse I, than her screwing her brother, though. I, 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 I think she, I think she was doing General Dodonna, and she's just like influencing him a little bit. But she was probably like, "Hey, you know, you know, I've been thinking about Luke and that Han Solo, but you, you know, they may be one of them might be Mister Right, but he's Mister Right now." <laughs> at that point. <laughs> uh, and I thought oh, there man. was there's some neat things about this issue. I I, I oh, yeah. liked um. I liked how he said, "Hey, here's a move I learned from Han Solo. We'll we'll uh, we'll let this you know giant star cruiser chase us into an asteroid field." What a, you know? Yep. That's yep. that's there are another uh, one of those coincidences. That just works out really good. The other thing is the Imperial spy looks just like the Imperial spy in Star Wars, 
Is that what all Imperial spies look like? And if so, they're not very damn good spies if they all look alike and you can just go, hey, look, it's an Imperial spy. Hey, 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 hey. All the Terminators look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. How, how does that shit work? He's so, not a know. spy, though. He just walks through police ah, he's stations. He's an infiltration unit. Yeah, but, you know, he's not very subtle. He doesn't yeah, have it's... to be because he's fairly indestructible. Obviously, these Imperial spies are very destructible because uh, <laughs> one quick... One quick vacow from his gun, Valance wipes him out. Vidal, Vidal, Pacow! Yeah, I love it. I love the sound effects. Yeah. So this one was, this one was. I don't think Valance, the bounty hunter, would uh, would just be turned so quickly by. You know, I think robots are also programmed, if they're anything like the Asimovian laws of robotics, to protect their. Their owners, their masters. So you know, C-3PO, you know, making the logical decision to step in front of Valance, you know, may not be an actual emotion. And you know, so I don't know. He, wow. he just immediately like he immediately just, is like, oh, you you know what? You guys are okay. Not really. You just blew my mind with that because that was actually one of my notes is would 3PO even do that? And that's a that's a consideration I hadn't had was that it might actually be part of his programming because I was taking it a completely different way is that it seems, you know, let's face it, 3PO is portrayed as kind of a pussy, right? Yeah. He's, he's afraid of every bump and, and everything that, that happens to him. You know, so it seemed to me like this was completely out of character that he just didn't have the wherewithal to stand up to anybody. But the idea that he might actually be programmed to protect his master, yeah, I had not thought of that. That's an excellent point. Yeah. So maybe it's not out of character. Maybe it's out of character for him, but then again, he can't fight his programming. So, yeah, what a, that's what an a, interesting Asimov's thought. Asimov's basic logical laws of robotics is a robot shall not through action or inaction allow harm to come to a human. But that's right. in the Asimov universe. But those were sort of, those have sort of been like, you know, he, he came up with such basic rules that they figured that anybody who built robots would probably want to apply those rules into a robot's programming you know they just mm -hmm. seem like the basic basics of interactive with human robot programming so that's that's sort of how i i, I just th thought whether it was emotional or not because c-3po is obviously programmed to at least simulate emotions because yes he's a cranky motherfucker yeah, but... genuine people personalities <laughs> yes you're a plastic pal who's fun to be with your plastic palace fun to be with. And um, so, and 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 for that to be, you know, I didn't know that was a, unusual. There's plenty of robots with personality, and Valance is just running into it for the first time, going, "What?" You know, I don't know. It just struck me as being kind of a uh, for the build-up of this Valance character, mm -hmm. and to have him finally come back. I thought it was kind of anticlimactic to have just sort yeah. of a weird little moral lesson, but we have to yeah. wait another issue, but at least Valance gets a little a meaty story before mm -hmm. before too long, you know, because they've been building him up as a, this character they're going to bring in, and, and then he just sort of gets this crack at Luke Skywalker and says, damn it all, get out of my sight, get off my <laughs> lawn, and that's, and that's the end of it, and then they walk away. 
I will I will admit that for the first time since we've been doing these these comics and and you know for me you know well for both of us you know reliving our childhood through these this was the first time that my rose colored glasses got kind of kind of broken because I'll be honest with you I don't think this issue holds up very well or not as not at least not as well as it did to my kid mind because I can remember really thrilling to this episode you know really thinking that this was a great one. And it's not that it's bad. It's but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of story points that I just don't you know that I don't think hold up as well. Yeah. And the whole self-loathing cyborg thing, the whole you know he's he's got them at the end, and then he just lets them go because there's robot love for his master there and all that. Yeah, it just it does. I mean, maybe it's just a because I'm a victim of having read way too many friggin' comic books, but that just it doesn't hold up to me anymore, but there, there are still elements. I really like, you know, not the least of which is the art. I still think the art's fantastic. You know, um, the, the Y checks inks, I think are a little bit heavy in this one, which is why I kind of prefer Gene day's style, you know, inking, uh, Infantino yeah. over Y checks, but it's still solid. I mean, that page where, uh, Oh, I'm trying to find which, which, you know, the actual number, but you'll know the, the page I'm talking about where, where Luke, page 10 where where luke is actually it's a, like a down angle shot where they they're coming across the bow of that battle cruiser that's a beautiful yeah, piece of art it's just yeah inside of the planet and yeah, yeah that's a very star wars moment and, in there and, and leia and dodonna's entire one page conversation on page 16 where they're standing on top of the masasi temple at night with yavin in the background that's beautiful. I mean, just yeah. There, there's a lot of little snippets of you know, mostly art moments in this that I really, really like. I like. I've always really liked the the last shot or next to last shot in the book with uh, with Valance using his hand blaster and just the stance his body's got. You know, like he's just pissed and, and you know, it reminds me like it's yeah, like like somebody you know, like when somebody gets mad and they like swat something off of a yeah. counter or, or throw throw a dish or something he's got that same kind of thing like he doesn't want to hurt somebody so he just smashes the the closest nearby inanimate object and that's kind of the the same thing he's doing there like ah, damn it and he just blows up something next to luke and 3po rather than blowing up luke and 3po yeah. themselves i love that it's a great you know it's a very very realistic very human moment the only other real notes i've got on this one is uh Page two, last panel. You know, this bar doesn't have bar stools. Why is yeah. this guy sitting on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> and it's then, uh, the tradition in Junction, I guess. I guess, yeah, maybe that's it. It's, and then I. What's his re- major malfunction in Junction? <laughs> and then on the page three, um, <laughs> this would not have occurred to me as a kid, but rereading this, it just. You know, the bizarre shit that pops into my head anyway. But, you know, Valance is calling his friend. He's screen, you know, standing out fr- outside his friend's junk shop calling him. He says, Skinker! And the first thing that occurred to me was Leonard Skinker. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why. It just popped in there. And then, uh, oh, where is it? Let me see which page. Last panel, page 15. The guy that Skinker's talking to. Tell me that does not look like Gonzo from the Muppets. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't it? It could be. It could be one of his ancestors. 
It's like a reptilian gonzo. It's absolutely hysterical. And then I noticed a, a, a name on the letters page, uh, Peter Sanderson. I'm pretty sure that there's a Peter Sanderson in comics today, and I wonder if it's the same guy. I think he's a writer for DC or something, or at least maybe he was, you know, say, in the, uh, you know, a number of years ago or so. I don't know. The name just rings a bell is all I'm saying, so maybe somebody uh, – maybe somebody – can find out or, or knows more about that than me or whatever but just thought it worth pointing out but yeah yeah I pretty think, good issue yeah i think that about covers it for me too cool i think we can right. move on to number 28 all right let's move on to number 28 i'll do the uh the synopsis on this one we're going back to october 1979 for this one cover by carmine infantino and bob wycheck written by archie goodwin the interior art is actually by Infantino and Gene Day. Um, great art team on the Star Wars title. Original cover price, 40 cents. This story is entitled, Whatever Happened to Jabba the Hutt? But Hutt is misspelled. It's spelled with one T instead of two, which uh, actually there may be an explanation for that. We'll get back to that. So anyway, in this story, Han Solo and Chewbacca the Wookiee are stranded on the obscure planet of Orleon, where, much like here in Georgia lately, it's been raining for the past week. They've holed up in a large cave where they've hidden the Millennium Falcon and have continually uh, had to ward off attacks by the minions of a dog-faced version of Jabba the Hutt. This is not the slug-like Jabba that we would come to know and love in Return of the Jedi he hadn't been invented yet. Um, Jabba has decided to cut his losses and just have Solo and his partner outright killed. Jabba is frustrated by the incompetence of his hired guns, who simply want to just blow up the cave where Chewbacca and Han are, thus destroying the Falcon in the process, so Jabba forbids this. He wants Solo dead, but he wants the Falcon intact. So anyway, back in the cave, Han and Chewie, they sit down to have a cold meal of nutrient paste, Han gets really pissed off, and he just flings his rations, and he's lamenting their current predicament. And then he proceeds to fill us, the reader, in on the details of just how they came to be here in the first place. You remember back, you know, a little bit ago to the wheel storyline. Well, it seems like, you know, when all of our heroes escaped the wheel back in, that was issue 23, Han and Chewie, you know, they didn't do as well as Luke, Leia, and the droids did. You know, Luke, Leia, and the droids were in their own ship, and Han and Chewie were in the Falcon. Well, the Falcon, while it's traveling through hyperspace, you know, all of a sudden develops this, this really nasty shutter that forces them to drop out of hyperspace and find the first, you know, convenient planet, which just happens to be Orleon, an old smuggler's hideout uh, planet that, that, you know, was used by Jabba and Jabba's smugglers and stuff. It's a place that Han knows well. And... Uh, you know, they're not there long when Jabba himself shows up and he was alerted to Han and Chewie's presence by a bug that he had installed previously in the cave that Han and Chewie are used to hide out in. So, you know, we the readers are now up to speed um, when Han suddenly fires off a blaster ball and runs over uh, to see what he's shot and he reveals it to Chewie that it's a dead stone mite. These little buggers, Han says, were developed as a biological weapon during, say it with me, the, the Clone, Clone Wars. Wars. And they, uh, they manufacture an acid that allows them to eat through anything. Uh, and, you know, Han knows that these things, you know, that where there's one of these stone mite things, there's potentially millions of them. They're like, you know, they're like ants or cockroaches or something. 
So Han and Chewie, you know, they, they take off at a dead run for their ship just as Jabba's goons bomb the cave entrance again, which starts a cave-in and dislodges a massive swarm of these stone mites that rain down onto the Millennium Falcon and start to munch. So, you know, our heroes have to blast their way through all these mites and everything. They make it inside the Millennium Falcon. And in a scene that kind of is reminiscent of, you know, the space, uh, space slug scene that we'll eventually see in The Empire Strikes Back, you know, they do the whole, we're taking off thing, you know, blast out of, the, out of this cave. So they blast out. Han and Chewie, uh, you know, find their way uh, out of the system uh, blocked by Jabba's ship. Um, you know, Jabba t- took off, you know, right at the same time that they did in, in hot pursuit or whatever. And he, he cuts off their escape route basically. Yet Jabba himself, um, you know, who communicates with them over the, their comm system. He, suddenly he seems more, much more, uh, amicable and everything that he was just a little bit ago when they were down on the surface. And Han eventually comes to realize that Jabba is the lone survivor aboard a ship that's overrun with these stone mite things. So Han and Chewie agreed to bring Jabba aboard in exchange for not only a cancellation of their debt to him and the bounty that he's placed on their heads, but for also a bonus uh, for their time and trouble in this whole, you know, this whole thing. And the issue ends with a, you know, a playful little standoff between a space-suited Jabba clinging to the outside of the uh, Millennium Falcon uh, with about two hours of air left. You know, and and deciding whether or not he's going to play into Han's blackmail scheme, and that's the end of the issue. What'd you think about this one? It was okay. I I liked the art a lot, except for Han Solo had scurf face a lot. He has weird like tire tread face all over. It's like in the yeah, just after a point that his face is just covered with these weird tire track. Marks, That's where he was supposed to have been gnawed by those stone mite things, oh, right? Oh, okay. Okay, never mind. I took him to be like scratches or something. Yeah. That's what I always thought. Since I was a kid, that's what I always thought, that they'd, they'd actually been gnawed just a bit by these by these things. Because they look like some sort of like like shrimp scorpions or something. Yeah. They're, they're really cool looking, though. Yeah, but they're like the aliens where they have acid, although Chewie's smashing one right up against his chest at one point, you know, and it doesn't <laughs> eat through him. But uh, Chewie also has one of my favorite Chewie lines, Groke. <laughs> Groke. Groke. <laughs> He's got a couple other good ones. He says, gnarl at one point. Right on the very first page, you'll notice that Han's um, right eye is is like it's like a dead Jonah Hex eye. There's no, <laughs> it is. there's no pupil in it. Either that, it's, or his pupils like all the way in the corner, like cross-eyed in one eye. Like, yeah, it's that is kind of <laughs> weird. But otherwise, story-wise, eh, it's that's it's another one that, and I guess it sounds like you have some sort of. And I'm gonna guess is this what how this gets brought into continuity is Jabba the Hutt's a different Jabba? It's the one yeah, with the one T. It, Whatever. It's <laughs> kind of been retconned, sort of half-assed. I don't I, I I don't know that this is officially embraced, but the the explanation that has been offered and and you know that that a lot of people I guess look at is yeah that could be I guess is that this isn't really Jabba. That this is a guy. What's the guy's name? Oh, 
Guido the Hutt or Carlo the Hutt or something. <laughs> Carlo the It's, uh... Oh, where is it here? Hang on, I'll find it, I'll find it. Uh, you know... I'm, I'm missing it, but it's Mosep something or other. M-O-S-E-P. He's got he's got two names, you know, like Joe Smith. It's Mosep something or other. And I'm, I can't remember if Mosep is the first name or the last name. But anyway, that this is basically like like Jabba's proxy because he's such a fat bastard that he couldn't get out and do it himself. That he kind of sends this guy out as his representative type of thing and, and that's and why Han plays right into it so much that he calls him Jabba. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Whatever. I, I guess. Yeah. I mean ultimately the the thing would be that, you know, yeah, it doesn't quite it, yeah. fit. But just... you know, I don't want to because these existed when we were coming up, this is this was our Star Wars in lieu of the movies and all. I don't want to throw out sto- uh, stories, you know. Even the really goofy ones like the one where Darth Vader plays chess with a squid it's still Star Wars, and I don't want to throw any of it out. So I, I look for ways to to make it fit or whatever. So I mean, if this uh-huh. is the explanation that somebody wants to throw out, eh, I'll go along with it for a gag. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but, uh, you know, I can take it as an enjoyable story, but I don't. You know. Right. I, I just figure, well, it doesn't really quite. Or I'll just do a little special edition treatment in my head and project the fat job on there, which is fun when you get to the spacesuit part. <laughs> yes. I'm like clinging to the outside of the Millennium Falcon for an hour while Han just sweats him out. <laughs> well, that's pretty much all I got on that yeah, one. Yeah, that's all I got. Okay, right. now, we're go- now we're getting to the meat of Valance. Now we or get the to the cyborg meat. metal of Valance, the bounty hunter. Yeah, here we go. I'm really, really looking forward to this because I will spill the beans by saying that this is one of my favorite issues of the entire series. Okay, so Star Wars number 29. This one is uh, from November 1979, covered by Carmine Infantino and Bob Wycheck again, written by, again, Archie Goodwin. Interior art by Car- uh, Carmine Infantino and Bob Wycheck. Original cover price, 40 cents. And this is a story entitled Dark Encounter. Um, the scene opens in this one to the screams of someone yelling, no more. And, you know, and telling, telling, (laughs) and they're screaming that, you know, they'll tell anything. And there's this Imperial officer who's basically berating two stormtroopers who are supposed to be standing guard because they're, you know, apparently very squeamish for all this screaming and stuff that's going on. So we turn the page to a beautiful splash of Lord Darth Vader looming over us, the reader, and Vader both gloating over having finally broken the will of his victim and also dismissing Wormus, an Imperial officer who has uh, developed sudden indigestion after witnessing Vader's torture techniques. Vader demands a name from his prey, and we cut to this spaceport cantina scene where you know, it seems like Valance the Cyborg, you know, he really hangs out in a lot of cantinas for whatever reason. But anyway, Valance the Hunter, the Cyborg, is looking for the same person as Darth Vader, one uh, Tyler Lucian. Valance's questions arouse the hostilities of others in the bar, and a laser battle breaks out in which Valance is blasted in the face, revealing his true nature uh, uh, to the frightened bartender. And after obtaining the information that he sought in the cantina, a cloaked and hooded Valance attempts a hasty getaway when he's stopped by stormtroopers. 
And then while checking his ID, one of the troopers pulls back Valance's hood, revealing his half-cyborg visage. And Valance is forced to kill them with his palm blaster in order to escape. You know, this, this, basically his, his hand shoots a laser bolt out and he, he kills them that way and beats feet. Cut to the planet Centaurus, once a splendid and popular resort. And we're looking at a lake on the planet uh, that was, you know, once beautiful until the ravages of the imperial industry on the planet left it, uh, you know, beautiful but deadly. You know, there's this toxic chemical soup there now that can dissolve flesh in minutes. And here, Tyler Lucian, you know, the guy that uh, both Darth Vader and Valance the Cyborg are looking for, this guy's a former rebel and cowardly deserter from the Battle of Yavin. And he's standing on the dock looking out at the lake, and he's lost in thought and self-pity when Valance the Cyborg shows up apparently intent on killing Tyler Lucian. And just as he's about to pull the trigger, however, we see Darth Vader's curved-winged TIE fighter come streaking out of the sky. And Lucian takes advantage of the momentary distraction to flee into a nearby tower. And Valance turns and fires at him, uh, but, you know, he realizes it's too late. He misses the guy, and he's missed his chance at an easy kill, and now... You know, throwing off his cloak, he prepares for battle with Darth Vader. We cut to the fourth moon of Yavin and see 3PO's lonely vigil, waiting to see if the parts that he and Luke Skywalker brought back will actually save the life of R2. And just when 3PO, you know, is so distraught that he swears that if they can fix R2, that he'll never ever say another harsh word about him, R2 comes rolling out and then they instantly get right back into their little uh, Laurel and Hardy routine. Meanwhile, Luke is demanding an explanation from General Dadana for, you know, God damn it, why did you let Princess Leia run off on a solo mission all by herself? And General Dadana gives Luke a lame answer about, you know, letting her do her own thing or whatever. And then to smooth things over, you know, he kind of throws his arm around Luke and, you know, hey, how about a mission of your own? And that kind of thing. So I got a kick out of that scene. And we cut back to the dramatic conclusion to where, uh, back at the Ruby Flame Lake on Centaurus, and one of the greatest panels in any of the Marvel Star Wars issues as Valance stands face-to-face with Darth Vader blocking his path to Tyler Lucian. Vader tells Valance that he requires a name from Lucian and that it is in Valance's best interest to let him pass, but Valance refuses to move, so Vader tries a mind trick on him forcing him to drop his weapon, but then Valance just uses his, you know, his wrist blaster, his hand blaster thing, and he shoots Vader point blank in the face. So there's a really beautiful panel of a smoking Darth Vader rising back up onto his feet. And again, similar to scenes that would, you know, happen later in The Empire Strikes Back, Vader praises, you know, Valance for his ability to bring Vader to his knees, and, you know, he tries his patented, you know, come with me, pickup lines on Valance to try to get him to join him. But the cyborg, you know, he's not having any of that. It turns out that Valance is actively fighting to prevent Vader from learning the name of Luke Skywalker from Tyler Lucian because he's actually protecting the boy from Vader. He tells Vader that the boy, you know, he doesn't give up the name, of course. He tells Vader that the boy in his relationship with his droids has offered hope to, you know, a cyborg like Valance you know, of a time that might come where he wouldn't be a a freak in the universe that they live in. So 
then he blasts the dock out from under Darth Vader, but Vader, you know, he does this spectacular superhuman leap across the chasm and comes slamming feet first into Valance. Um, the cyborg fights back, uh, but Vader just cuts him down at that point with his lightsaber. He's basically had enough and he just viciously slashes him down. Thinking Valance is defeated, Vader calls out to Lucian, but then Valance, uh, who's not dead, latches on to Vader's ankle with his mechanical hand. So he's got him in like a vice grip clamp by the ankle. Uh, Vader, sufficiently impressed, then offers to save the life of Valance, but Valance refuses. Uh, Vader calls this absolute lunacy and asks Valance, you know, what will his sacrifice actually accomplish? He'll get the information one way or the other, either from Lucian or not, and it's just an, an, an inevitability at this point. So Valance says that he's uh, buying the boy, you know, meaning Luke Skywalker, he's buying the boy time. You know, time to grow and someday possibly be the equal or even better of Darth Vader himself and be able to, you know, hold his own. So Valenson throws himself off the side of the dock, still clinging onto Darth Vader's ankle. And while he himself starts to, to burn and melt in the chemical lake, Vader is, you know, slowly, inexorably being dragged off the dock by his fingertips. Uh, and into this lake and, you know, to the, to the you know, certain doom that awaits him in that chemical soup. So desperately, you know, Vader, uh, you know, scrambles and then he finally just severs Valance's hand right off his ankle uh, with his lightsaber and Valance sinks out of sight, you know, and he's dead. We then see a great shot of an absolutely scared shitless Tyler Lucian realizing that, you know, this is it. It's all over for him. So, you know, there's nothing standing between and you know, between him and Vader now and in a, you know, just gorgeously drawn scene. You know, it's this one one of those vertically cut half page panels. Tyler Lucian throws himself out of the tower and into the lake as well, you know, denying Darth Vader his prize. So, back on his ship, Vader and uh, the Imperial officer Warmus uh, overhear two stormtroopers basically bitching about feeling like blasted Borgs after being on double shifts in their armor for so long. So Vader turns to Wormus and he issues orders that all troopers, even off-duty ones, remain in full armor until he, Darth Vader, decrees otherwise. And the issue ends with the long search for the identity of the rebel who destroyed the Death Star beginning again. So what'd you think of this one, man? It's a great episode issue. I think um, Darth Vader's a little petty at the end with the stormtrooper outfit thing i thought that was a little goofy otherwise i thought this was a great issue yeah i i agree i i always kind of interpreted that scene at the end as almost like vader's tribute to like you know like you see this a lot and like uh oh i don't know some you know where, where where some great warrior will face another person that they finally consider worthy of fighting them or whatever and and in the end after they're defeated or whatever they're you know they'll do some little gesture acknowledging you know the other person as a great warrior or whatever and i kind of took that as this was vader's nod to the fact that that valance was a was a worthy adversary and and you know that he's somehow taking objection to the you know, comment the, about the blasted borg yeah yeah so i, I thought that was it, it was almost a humanizing uh -huh. moment for Darth Vader, you know, to where, where he, he actually felt bad that, that Valance, 
you know that that he sacrificed you know that he was lost that that he could have been they could have been pals <laughs> but no i i do i think this is a great issue and i'm so glad you know because it's been a long time since i actually read it again you know and I, i'm so pleased to to read it again and find that man i think it holds up i think it's a hell of an issue and the battle between valance and and vader and just the way it's to the art is gorgeous the whole idea that you know it's it's very much like the battle between between anakin and obi-wan when you think about it you know they're they're fighting you know it's not lava but they're fighting over this lake of yeah. of chemicals that can kill them if they fall off the dock or whatever I, I think that's neat i think that's a great concept actually now that i think about it i wonder if if that story from lucas had had been made public you know because remember somewhere along the line when we were kids that story yeah came out you know that that interview with lucas of you know how where did vader said, wind up this way what's that yeah where he said you know he was fell into a lava pit yeah so i wonder if that's if this story somehow spun out of that that would be an interesting thing to you know if it did that that somebody you know decided to kind of well you know maybe we can kind of replay or or right. use that idea of fighting over some sort of you know lava pit you know chemical soup kind of thing but yeah just just that image just that visual i think is is a really great idea and it, it really works for this and you know finally having somebody that you know because you know up till now we really hadn't seen a hell of a lot of darth vader and then when when we did see him it was just to pop into you know just just for just like a, a token bit, yeah just to make a little threat and take off because yeah because they couldn't do much with him because they didn't know where it was going or you know so i think they outright weren't allowed i mean they obviously right, could right could have vader and luke fight or or even meet each other but up they could to a have certain vader point. and a character that they made up have a right battle right and this was a character that was actually you know granted he didn't have a lightsaber or anything like that but the you know just by the nature of the way they created him was a character that could actually hold his own in a, a fight badass, with Vader. Yeah. yeah, I think that's awesome. I, I, I and I I think that really lends into why I, I've always thought that this was a really good issue. Well, it was I funny mean, I because you just they didn't really sort of set up Valance to be someone who is going to eventually clash with Vader. You you would think there would be more of a clash with the heroes of the story. That's where I thought he, he you know when. He was first introduced. He was going to be sort of a heavy, in mm -hmm. lieu, in lieu of Darth Vader, you know. Right. So, so. Yeah, they sort of put a little reversal on this, and. Yeah, and it's kind of a psychological story too. Mm hmm. It, it's funny when you think about it that that Valance, you know, I know that you and I are not alone in, in having a real soft spot for that character, but it's funny when you think about it. I mean, he only has a grand total of what? Like like three real appearances and then yeah. like one cameo. So it's funny that, you know, he, he can he can really be remembered fondly by so many Star Wars fans for really not well, I mean, then again, I guess he's no worse than like Boba Fett, you right, know. Right, that's true. <laughs> has like you know, one speaking line or he something. He got way like more that, lines so. than Boba Fett, that's for sure. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, he uh I, I think he's a great character. I mean, if there's any downside to the story is that we lost him with this one. But I mean what a way to go. You know, he, he you know, he 
could have defeated Vader. You know, if he had managed to pull him off that dock, that may have been the end of Vader. So I, I thought that was great. And I've always liked that that image of the great and powerful Darth Vader scrambling with his fingertips to, to hold on and not be it's, drugged off the dock. That scene is echoed in episode three with Yoda. It's almost the same angle and it's the same with Yoda oh, right. in the Senate chamber. You're right. It's almost oh, the same thing. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, you're right. Wow, the parallels. The parallels, man. The parallels, man. man. Did I blow your mind again? Oh, the parallels, man. I can't handle the parallels. It is. It's awesome, though. It really is. And I really like this issue. And I, I like where the series is going from here. Yeah. And the art has been uniformly good. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, star this is like Star Wars in its prime, I think, really. Oh, absolutely, yeah. This this series, this is sort of the prime, meaty part. Although it never really, it has its ups and downs, but it's just an overall strong run. Mm-hmm. Well, from here, next time around, we'll uh, we'll come back to some more uh, Marvel Star Wars. And, and you know, we've Another got uh, issues. Wars. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We'll have issues thirty through uh, thir through thirty two. We'll have a Princess Leia solo story that's uh, good, wacky fun, and then just because you can't freaking get enough of Tatooine, oh, back Luke to Skywalker Tatooine. is gonna go home. Oh, oh yeah. awesome! Wow, <laughs> that's like me going to the bathroom, you know? <laughs> yeah, Big by deal. This point. Exactly. But, but, yeah, but this was the first. Granted, this was the first. Now you got to give it its. Well, due. they it had the, the flash. First. There was still a flashback story. Well, that was oh, in that's... the 3D, actually, wasn't it? No, there was a. Th there, was uh, yeah, there was one in the 3D, and there was one in the Marvel so far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see how that holds up next time around. Yeah. But uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us, and uh, you know, continue to come back each and every week because next week it'll be Star Trek Monthly Monday. Then the week after that, we'll be talking comic books. And then the week after that, who the hell knows? The fourth week of the month is always Could our... be anything. Yeah, it's our free-for-all wild card. I guess that's what we should start calling him is the wild card wild show. Wild card show. There you go, where anything goes. In the meantime, if you need a fix of something else to listen to, check out some of our friends in the uh, podcasting community. Uh, Alternate Reality does a, an excellent show. Um, inside the magic is everything you could possibly want to know about the world of uh, the Disney parks, uh, most particularly uh, Walt Disney World. The Super Future Friends is a hilarious show uh, devoted to the history of the Legion of Superheroes. Too Old to Grow Up is a show that I have just discovered and I got a real kick out of it and I'm getting I've caught up. I've actually listened to a couple of episodes of that show a while back, so I beat you to that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. <laughs> It's good though, isn't it? I, I listened to the ones that yes. they did where they talked about uh, they talked about Star Wars and then they talked about the Star Wars expanded universe. And you know, you talk about the parallels, man. The parallels. I found so many parallels between things we had talked about in our same episodes, talking about the same things. That it was really neat to hear two different groups of fans that didn't know each other or anything have very similar and very dissimilar takes on the same exact thing. So I really got a kick out of that. I mean, it was, it was really a lot of fun to, 
you know, to both hear them reach the same conclusions and then also reach conclusions where I was like, oh, wow, that's a completely different thing. You know, I hadn't even thought of. So, yeah, that I really am enjoying that show. Um, also listen to uh, From Crisis to Crisis. That's a great show all about um, it's literally going from Burns Man of Steel number one all the way to the last appearance of that Superman in I believe it was Adventures of Superman 649, I think something like that back in uh, 2006 so that's that's a really interesting series i'm having a lot of fun listening to that um also will sanchez's avengers assemble podcast is a good one and i'm a frequent guest on that show any one of those will hook you up they're all great listens there's a whole bunch more that i'm probably forgetting i apologize fellas for the ones i am forgetting but check them out tell them two true freaks sent you i think you'll enjoy any and all of them Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.